This evening there are two or three questions which seem to be related. And the first one says, Could you please say something about how to handle the doubts and uncertainties which frontline workers have to face when making a decision regarding their childcare? The parents are encouraged to place their children into a place like a nursery where there obviously is not strict social distancing and therefore there is increased danger. I expect there are a lot of people with this, just this kind of quandary. How do we handle this situation? The, the pressures that people are under at the moment are giving rise to all sorts of previously uh, unexperienced, unimagined difficulties and challenges. And as for the specifics with regards to what should or shouldn't happen, um, that's not really my place to say. However, what I can say and what I would like to raise up for our contemplation this evening is how we might sharpen the tools in our spiritual toolkit, these tools that we have been equipped with, that we've received, how can we hone them down so that we can do the work and the inner work? Like, for instance, dealing with something that's really difficult, something that's really challenging, that stirs up deep reactions within us. Which tools do we use? Do we have the skills to use them? Well, first, as Buddhists, we all know that we go for refuge to the Dhamma. We go for refuge to the Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha. And so in facing any quandary, one of the first questions we could ask ourselves is, what does this mean in terms of, I go for refuge to the Buddha, I go for refuge to the Dhamma? I go for refuge to the Dhamma means, surely... I go for refuge to reality. We're not talking about believing in dogma. That's not the Buddhist way. Yeah. Going for refuge to Dhamma means going for refuge to reality, to actuality, to what is, to what is true. What is true here and now? What is true? So one of the things that when we ponder on this question is one of the things that's true and that we can know is that we don't know what to do. Now, that might sound so obvious that it's hardly worth mentioning. However, when we are faced with these challenges, we need to 
find a way of getting our feet on the ground, the way of getting our centre back, the way of re regaining some perspective, returning to some sense of stability. And if we are pretending about something, like, for instance, the fact that we're really afraid or embarrassed or angry about the fact that we don't know how to handle a situation, then that's going to get in the way. So our refuge in Dhamma, our refuge in actuality, from one perspective, means owning up to what we can know right here and now is that we don't know. Again, as I was saying, it sounds sometimes maybe too simplistic to even mention, and perhaps there's some people listening to this are thinking, well, I hope he's not going to dwell on mindfulness of not knowing. I want to get around to you know, some certainty. I want to know what to do. I want to be sure. That would be perfectly understandable. However, where's that coming from? Where is that I want to be sure? I want a sense of certainty. Well, one way of looking at it is we are basically caught up in memories of what it was like when we felt certain about stuff, how good it feels, addiction to the good feeling that comes when we feel sure. How does that feel when we feel sure? It feels wonderful, feels safe, we like it. And if we haven't taken the time, if we haven't stopped to inspect very carefully the feeling of how we feel when we feel sure, we get lost in it, we attach to it, and we want more of it. And as hopefully we all know that when we're caught up in wanting to be sure, we are going to be creating the fear of being unsure. When we attach to the pleasure, pleasure of certainty, we attach to the fear of uncertainty. They go together. So let's, as we consider this question of what's the right thing to do or how, what's the right approach in dealing with this kind of conundrum, is let's not push past that not knowing. See how we do want to push past that. See how we want to be sure again. Feel. What does it feel like to want to be sure? What does it feel like to be afraid of being unsure, uncertain, what does that really feel like? And that's one of the other questions which says how to cultivate the perception of changeability and another way of asking that question is how to find confidence in relation to uncertainty. So if we have even basic mindfulness and appreciation of the function of sati, then we can start asking some really useful questions like, is it safe to be attached to the pleasure of feeling certain? Is that safe? Is it permanent? Exercising sati is not just, it's important we understand what sati means. I mean, in English it's translated as as mindfulness, and that's good enough in a way. However, personally, I find the word recollectability 
a better translation. I know it's a, it's a clumsy word. But sati means much more than just watching stuff. There's the function of being able to remember, to reflect on what's important, or, or to be so recollected in the moment that we're paying attention in the right way. Sati is a protection. Sati is a tool. And we need to develop this tool, appreciate this tool, exercise using it. So in this case, if we suspect that part of what's getting in the way of our being able to make a responsible decision when we're faced with a serious conundrum, part of what's getting in the way in there is what? Our attachment to the pleasure of feeling certain. So this kind of inquiry, this kind of approach, can help us begin to let go of false pursuits. The pursuit of security, the pursuit of identity as somebody who knows what they're doing. It feels good to feel like I know what I'm doing. But a lot of the time I don't know what I'm doing. And from a Dhamma perspective, from a practice perspective, we need to own up to that, and when we do own up to it, to feel how good that feels. The divided, fragmented state of, that comes with lying to ourselves, you know, pretending that we know what we're doing when we don't know, that's very unattractive. Whereas when we are faced with what's obvious, which is, I don't know what I'm doing, it might seem surprising, but to really own up to that feels good. So we want to consciously feel good. Consciously feel good about admitting that I don't know what I'm doing right now. I want to know. It's not like you know, I don't care. It's like a scientist setting out on some project. How would it be if they pretended that they knew what they were doing when they set out on the, on the project and they began to do their experiments? It's important that you start to make investigations that that we know that we don't know. And then we start to look at what we don't know. We don't even know here in the beginning. We don't even know what's the cause of the suffering, what's the cause of the struggle. And so we apply this recollectability, we investigate, we ask the right sort of questions in the right way, saying, oh, that's what it is. It's holding on to the memory of how good it felt when I felt certain. And if we can really apply that investigation, really see that, maybe we experience a little moment of letting go of that and a willingness to accept, oh, it's all right to feel afraid of uncertainty. Fear of uncertainty doesn't have to be a sign of failure. As Ajahn Chah said, if you're going to run across a motorway and you don't feel afraid, there's something wrong with you. Fear can be functional, makes us careful, makes us alert. So in this case, finding a way of moving through this fear of uncertainty, this desire for certainty, let's make sure it's not merely an intellectual exercise, coming into the body and asking ourselves, where is it that we feel what we feel? Where do we feel afraid? Where do we feel anxious? Where do we feel angry? If it's feeling angry because we have feel 
put upon, we've been put in a position where we don't know how to handle something and our reaction is anger. Just finding an intellectual explanation for that is not going to really resolve it. So, as we all know, the Buddha's teaching on the mindfulness of the body, bring the investigation into the body and then ask, how do I feel about this situation? I feel anxious. I feel uncomfortable. Where is that feeling of anxiety? In the belly, in the chest, in the shoulders, in the arms, in the jaw, in the eyes, eyes locked in staring mode, from reading things and hoping we're going to find a solution. Turn the light of awareness backwards, come back into the body and soften. Feel what we feel and soften around that feeling. Space. Allow. Receive. Recently I wasn't faced with exactly this question, but I was faced with a painful reminder of something from my early life where I was, I called a member of my family in New Zealand and we don't speak very often because their take on what constitutes a spiritual life is, doesn't include what I'm doing and so it's better we don't spend too much time together. However, on this occasion, uh, I rang up and on this occasion the conversation moved on to an area of shared difficulty in the family, some old pain. And in the course of the conversation, I'm sitting there here in Northumberland in my armchair, the telephone to my ear, and I become aware of this, this sensation in my belly. It's like, it's like plugging into an electric battery, just whirring away in the belly. Don't know what it is, just know that it's pain. It's painful. And I was surprised I hadn't felt that pain for a very long time. And there it was again. And initially there was an impression of, oh no, not that again. And, but quickly remembering, soften. Soften around that pain. Receive it. Allow it. And it was there. And it was threatening. But if we prepared ourselves in the body to be with it as it is, the actuality of this moment, not rushing up into our heads and finding some approximation that we hope is going to cancel it out. Ideas are, they're like abstractions. They are abstractions. They're like photographs. You turn it over and it's blank on the back. They're not the real thing. They've got a place, absolutely. However, to deal with the pain of life, we often need to come into the body to meet it, to receive it, and to talk to it if we need to. Ask it questions. Finding out what we need to do so as to be able to be with it in a way that is not pushing it down and is not indulging in it. And it's certainly not lying to ourselves about it. I don't know how to handle this. However, I can say yes to it. And maybe with some effort, I can soften around it 
and witness to it letting go. And so on that occasion, with that conversation with a member of my family back in New Zealand, uh, after the conversation ended, I was waiting to see what was going to happen. Nothing much happened. Went to bed and had a good sleep. So remembering to know that we don't know when that's the case, and then to bring the awareness into the body, acknowledge that dimension, and re-train ourselves, re-educate our attitude. We can say to ourselves, I don't know how to handle this, and that's okay. I don't know how to handle this, and that's okay. We're allowed to not know. In many situations we find ourselves in and we just don't know. But look how fast we are to bypass that. Why are we bypassing the truth? It's just a bad education. We didn't get taught that mindfulness of the law of impermanence, of instability, of uncertainty, of changeability. We didn't get taught that really paying attention to how we feel about that reality, that dimension of conditioned existence, is important. We didn't get taught that. So now we need to teach ourselves, whatever stage of life we're at, and if it's some really difficult issue, challenge that's presented to us, then to not miss the opportunity. Let's not define the situation as wrong and simply default to feeling angry, feeling afraid, and then saying it shouldn't be this way. If we give emphasis to mindfulness or sati or recollectability, maybe there's a chance that we can learn what we need to learn so as to let go. And in that letting go, there's a chance that we discover creative solutions. So long as we're fighting the reality, coming up with simplistic, conceptual solutions to the conundrum, we're living in a very limited way. Creative solutions are not necessarily going to become apparent. However, if we can meet ourselves in our experience of limited being, receive ourselves there, experience the calm and the contentment that comes when we stop fighting ourselves, then there's a chance for coming up with realistic, creative solutions, I would suggest. So the other question, which is in some ways related to the same topic, says, please could you advise how best to manage the fear of wrongdoing, particularly when the right course of action is not clear. If we're trying to build up our storehouse of goodness, getting it wrong, even in small ways, can feel quite devastating. When we're faced with these kind of concerns and what is the right action here, what's right, what's wrong, it's always good to start with 
mindfulness of our precepts. Now, again, it might occur to us, oh, that's too simple. I want a more profound solution. Sometimes the real solutions can be found in simplicity. And as we were speaking about, I think, last weekend, uh, one of the benefits of keeping moral precepts is, as the Buddha said, freedom from remorse. And so when we're faced with having to make a choice, should I do this, should I do that? Well, as I say, one of the first places to start is to be sure that we're working within the bounds of the moral precepts. And of course, hopefully not with a critical, judgmental attitude, but with a constructive attitude. If we are divided within ourselves, if we're fighting ourselves, if we're lying to ourselves, then there's not much chance that we're going to have clarity or confidence. So checking to see that our commitment to precepts is strong and we're confident in that. I think I mentioned before how I heard when I was living in Thailand the, what sometimes teachers would tell monks when they were going out on, on their uh, tudong practice and they're going to live in the forest that if it happens that you're assailed by fear and anxiety and you're alone in the forest and don't have the normal supports that you're used to. And one of the first things you do is you reflect on your precepts. Reflect on the purity of your precepts. It's just an aspect of reality that when our heart recognises your commitment to integrity, there's a sense of safety emerges. So when we're faced with questions of should I do this, should I do that, we can look at the purity of our commitment to integrity and hopefully feel good about that and the sense of safety and even offer up the wish, the conscious wish, may my commitment to integrity keep me safe or may my commitment to the refuges protect me. In theistic religions, this is akin to what they call prayer. And for us, this is what we call aditana, or making determinations. And for many people, many Western Buddhists, they're not necessarily attuned to this aspect of practice. And I know myself, when I started considering this, all uh, well, that's a bit close to something that feels dangerous, you know, like praying to some external agent to protect me. However, we don't have to go along with that conditioned attitude. Rather, in this case, you know, may the power of my commitment to the refuges, to the Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha, protect me. May the power of my commitment to integrity, the effort I put into living by standards I respect, protect me. It's just turning to reality. It's turning to truth, finding, in so doing, a source of, of strength. Now, if we have that in place, if we have, if we've tapped into the benefit of keeping precepts and making wise commitments, if we've attuned to that, well, then, as we were saying earlier, we can then own up to the fact that I don't know what to do in this situation. Let's not push past that.
should I do this, should I do that, I don't know the right action. That doesn't have to be a sign that we're failing. We just don't know, that's all. And what's wrong with that? Well, there's nothing wrong with it, but see how quickly we try to bypass it. I want to know, I want to be sure. If I was, if I was a together abbot of this monastery, I would know what to do. Well, that's not necessarily truth. All of us are facing new situations on a regular basis. So what do we do? And Well, if, if it's the case that we don't have to act immediately, then we choose to wait. We might know that action is called for, again, using sati, recollectability. Action is called for. However, right now, I'm going to wait. I choose to wait. I have this authority to choose to wait. Now, if it's an action that you have to do straight away, well, that's something else. But let's consider first if it's an action that doesn't require immediate response. We choose to wait. And look at the strength in that. The strength in inhibiting compulsive reactivity based on conditioning. Conditioning what? Conditioning to be productive, be effective, to appear like we've got it together. That sort of conditioning. The conditioning that makes us have a preference for having everything sorted. I don't want to have to deal with this difficulty. I can remember a very difficult situation some years ago when I, it fell to me to tell a monk who um, really wasn't finding a lot of confidence in living this life that you know, he should think about disrobing. And that's a very difficult thing to say to somebody. And they've invested a lot in this life. But, but if it's not working, and, and that in his case it clearly wasn't working, and somebody needs to say something. And how do you say that? I don't know how to say that. I don't know how to put that to him. Actually, he was, he was a good friend and, and it was you know, painful. And I, I don't want to have to deal with that pain, so I want to just get it over and done with. And so part of us rushes ahead and says something partial that you know, it's a good chance it won't work. And however, if we wait, consciously wait, and well, I don't have to act right now, I'll just wait, and maybe things will fall into place. Trust. Trust that there's a right time. I don't know when the right time is, and how do I feel about that? Well, if this is new to us, well then, as we've said many times before, there could well be a serious backlog of having denied fear of uncertainty, and so we try to apply these teachings, and what we come up against is this massive backlog of fear of getting it wrong, fear of failure, fear of being looked down on all of the stuff that we've pushed down into the basement or pushed down into our belly and it's rumbling away and causing this disturbance. Well, some of these conundrums that we get given by life can have the function of helping us clear that stuff up. Just the right dilemma at the right time with the right level of intensity might bring that unreceived life to the surface, that unreceived pain. We may not think we deserve it, we may not want to have to handle it, but if it's there, it's there. And who knows how it got there? Who knows where it came from? You study a little bit about the Buddha's teachings on the law of karma, there's all sorts of explanations. You study a little bit about what some schools of science talk about, epigenetics, and they've got their own explanation of where this stuff comes from. 
The fact is, if it's here, our job is to find a way of receiving it. Fear, aversion, anxiety, doubt. How can we meet it in the body, as we were saying before? Not being in a hurry to bypass it, slowing down until we can meet it. And it could, well, take time. And it's certainly work. And a few days ago, I had the pleasure of receiving a phone call from Lung Po Sumato in, in Thailand, who uh, he was expecting to be here by now and leading a retreat later this month at Amarawati, but for obvious reasons, he, he isn't here and he's not going to be here. He was going to come up here to visit us in Hanum also, and that's not going to happen. So he was ringing around the various monasteries and checking in to see how people were doing and in the course of the conversation it came up this the work of developing contentment and that it is work we might think as many people do contentment is what happens when I get what I want there's another way of approaching contentment and that is looking at our relationship to wanting and instead of having to get what we want we can change the way we relate to wanting see, feel feel the sensation of I want to be sure which is causing discontentment I want to know the right thing to do which is causing discontentment feeling that in our hands in our shoulders in our neck in our belly and then soften allow receive and it's a very different kind of work from being up in our heads and thinking about the right solution whereas all the time in our guts we're terribly afraid we're not going to find the right solution so what about the situation where we don't have time to wait well then if action is called for and it it's our job to act well then once again we come back to the precepts and check to see that our planned course of action is within the precepts within those boundaries and then whatever we do even if we turn even if it turns out to be that we made a mistake we got it wrong well there's a much better chance we'll be able to forgive ourselves we knew we didn't know the precepts were the boundary and we act within that, and, but we don't, we don't know what the right course of action is. If it turns out that we're right and the success, well, then there's a better chance that we're not going to get puffed up. Think, oh, look, I did the right thing. Well, we, there's a chance we, we just used the precepts as our frame of reference and we knew that we didn't know what we were doing. There's another element to this contemplation which is these days in the world of psychology they talk about this condition scrupulosity which I don't know if it's peculiar to to theistic religions or if it's more widespread but certainly in our culture it's very widespread and, and at least the way that it's talked about in psychology uh, if I understand correctly they consider it a form of OCD that uh, obsessing about being scrupulous obsessing to the point where you can't get any 
rest. You can't get a break from it. Guilty until proven innocent. And we always feel like we've done something wrong and having to somehow prove that we're okay. Now, I don't know the person asked this question whether that applies, but generally speaking, for a lot of people these days, and, uh, there is this obsessive tendency to always feel like they have to be proving their worth, proving that they're not bad, and that if it is an obsessive tendency, but it's still within the realms of what's manageable, well then, once again, we bring our embodied mindfulness practice to bear on that and feel what it feels like. Feel it in the body. Feel the fear of being condemned or the fear of being criticised. It may be heriotopa, maybe a suitable fear of falling into unwholesomeness, but it might be compulsive. And so to bring that to bear also, just to consider that. But wherever we meet it, we slow down. Don't be in such a hurry to get it right and to fix it. Receive it in this moment. Remember our refuge is in actuality, not in fantasy. It's in what is. And if what is right now is we feel unsure, can we be with that? Can we receive the feeling of being unsure until we let it go? And it's not going to be the case that I let go. Letting go is what happens when the other conditions are in place. And it might be that we have to bear with the fear of uncertainty for a long time. It might be that we have to bear with the desire to be sure be safe, be certain for a long time. But if that's what's called for, then that's what we give ourselves into. I thank you very much this evening for your attention.